Destiny Church, are you guys ready for God's word? I am pumped. I'm excited. I am grateful for today. Hey, if this is your first time, my name is Stephen, the senior pastor of Destiny Church, and I'm telling you, buckle up, get ready. God has something in store for us. Hey, Columbia, can you do me a favor? As we do every week, can you put your hands together? Can you welcome our Baltimore location? Be more. Y'all doing well? It is good to see you, those joining us online, whether you are in Maryland, in your living room, in your kitchen, in Texas, or California, or whatever it may be. God has a word for you today, and I am pumped. I'm excited. It's a little different in Columbia today because you're catching me live via stream. I'm excited about what God is doing, and it's going to be a special day. Hey, go ahead, grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and uh, as you turn there, um, can you pray for your pastor? Uh, I deserve to be stoned uh, because I'm a false prophet, uh, but please don't throw rocks at me. Uh, But we found out this week we are having a baby girl. (sighs) Um, Listen, I'm excited. Thank God for healthy children. I'm excited about a baby girl. I really am. I love Zoe, and I'm ready for another one. But, I mean, when we thought it was a girl, I literally saw my net worth decrease in that moment. I was like, I got another wedding to pay for. I'm currently back on LinkedIn looking for a second job. If you have any offerings, I will send you my resume. Pray for your pastor. I just popped out, like, five new gray hairs. I am not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready, but... I'm not even joking. I'm not ready. Okay, here we go. Luke, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, verse 17, and it says this. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy. Somebody say no longer worthy. Come on, Baltimore. Somebody say no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, I love how the father didn't even acknowledge his speech. He ignored him. He said to the servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead. Not that he left home. says he was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity, God, to be in your presence. God, we know that you're in this place, God, wherever we're gathered, because you said we're two or three gathered in your name. There you will be also, God. You've shown up, God, to heal physical bodies, to give hope, to give vision, God, to give dreams. And I pray in this moment that as you speak to us, God, give us the courage to obey. God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. 
Before I jump into the message, as I said last week, and I'm going to reiterate it, I'm going to say it flat-footed and staring right at you, do not miss next Sunday, March 7th. We are getting ready to make the biggest announcement in church history, period. That's all I got to say, just don't miss next Sunday. But we're in the final week of our series, It's Complicated. Have you enjoyed this series? This has been like a 12-part series that we've crammed into three weeks. It literally could have been a four-week message on each topic. But in week one, we talked about how you need covenant relationships. You need friends that are as committed to your destiny as you are. And you literally are like, that doesn't even sound realistic. Who's going to be as committed to my destiny as I am? That's why they're God relationships. They're divine relationships. God will just knit your heart with other people that are committed to you. After that, we were talking about the essence of love, not just the expression, but the essence of love. And then last week, we were talking about raising godly children, how God's called us to direct our children, to restrain our children, and to release them into our destiny. And it's the exact same thing that God does with us. I'm going to conclude our series today talking about what I think is the most complex relationship in your life. And I dare say it's the one relationship that affects every other relationship you will encounter. Before I get to that, I was just thinking, though, people watching is probably like my favorite thing to do on planet Earth. I feel like people watching should be recognized as an official hobby, just like bird watching, just like whale watching. Matter of fact, people watching is more entertaining than bird and whale watching put together. Like, if you want to know what my ideal life or my ideal day off is, is me sitting at an outdoor Mexican restaurant, have me a, a universal nacho right in front of me, and just watch people be people because people are crazy. It doesn't matter. You can sit at the stop sign. Just peek into the car next to you. You're going to see someone scratching their frontal lobe, but up their navel cavity. I mean, finger all the way up into their brain. It is hilarious. Or maybe you sit in a restaurant, you just peek at a table next to you, and you see someone eating in a manner as if someone's about to steal their food. I mean, they got one hand like this. You could tell they had a lot of siblings growing up, and I mean, they're just shoveling it back. But I find just as I kind of watch people, there's certain encounters that just make my skin boil. I remember one time, it was honestly probably about nine years ago, and I'm just set you up, it's not a funny story, it's not a good story at all, but I was at the movies, and uh, one of our, our football players, NFL football players, walked in the movies, I was sitting there with my brothers, and this guy walked in, I think with his wife or his girlfriend, and was just calling this woman everything out of her name, and I'm telling you, my blood boiled. And I, I mean, I wanted to step in and be like, dude, you, you can't do that, except he was a lot bigger than me and a lot stronger than me. And I just figured for the safety of my future, I need to mind my business. But doesn't it just drive you nuts when you see people mistreat other people? Maybe it's someone talking to someone, talking to a cashier or a waiter or whatever it may be in a disrespectful manner. Maybe you just see a parent that's just stressed out and just having a really tough time about life, but for some reason they're taking it out on their child. 
in that parking lot at whatever that department store is. Or it's just awkward to view people mistreating one another. Another super awkward encounter in people watching is when people are over-affectionate in public. Now, I, I'm down with the PDA. I'm all about it, holding hands, kissing, cuddling, all that other good stuff. I have no problem with it. But there's just certain times when it's just a bit much. And because y'all can't touch me today, I'm a, I'm a, can I come from Abby? It's super awkward when it's in church. Y'all, you know I can see you, right? Like, I'm preaching. But y'all, like, I mean, just massaging his neck and your fingers just running through his hair. Oh, it's like, y'all, you're in church. Stop it. (laughs) Pray for your pastor. (laughs) Two people just said, get away from me. But there's just certain encounters when you watch people in public where it's just like there's certain affection that is okay for public. There's certain affection if you're married that's okay for a really dark movie theater. But you don't do it when all the lights are on and all this. It's just like this is awkward. Here's the thought that crossed my mind. I wonder how much our skin would boil based on the abuse that we view, or how uncomfortable we would be based on the overexpression of affection if we had an opportunity to watch how we interact with ourselves. You see, the most complicated relationship you'll ever experience in your life. We've been preaching for four weeks. Can I just come at it? The most abusive relationship you could possibly experience in your life could very well be the relationship that you have with yourself. You've heard me preach over and over and over again. The Bible says that we as humans are made up of three different parts. We have a spirit man. That's the part of us that is going to live forever. That's the part of us that when we surrender to God in that moment, it is made new and is going to spend eternity with God. But not only do we have a spirit, we have a soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, our desires, and our emotions. So we have a spirit, we have a soul, but then we have a physical body, our flesh, our hands, our toes, our eyes. This is a part of us that no matter how healthy you eat, how much you work out, at some point this will get old, this will pass away, but we're going to receive a new body in eternity. You've heard me say already, my heavenly body is six foot four, 225 pounds of steel. If you saw me in the spirit you would not be laughing right now, and I'm a little offended that you are laughing right now. See me in heaven. You won't say nothing to me. Anyway, (laughs) but you're one person made up of three parts, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And like we talked about the theologian last week, Webster, if you go back to Webster and you look at the definition of a relationship, the definition of a relationship is how two individuals behave or interact with each other. Here's what we don't realize. There is a way that our spirit interacts with our soul and our soul interacts with our bodies. Without even realizing it, our relationship with the way that we talk to ourselves the way we treat ourselves, the way we care for ourselves or don't care for ourselves dictates every other relationship in our lives. 
Today, I want to teach a message called the two relationships you can't afford to get wrong. There are two relationships in our life that if you get these two relationships wrong, every other relationship in your life will be wrong. Three quick thoughts as we do every single week. Three quick thoughts about having the right relationships with ourselves. The first thing is this. Don't fall in love with yourself. If you're going to you're going to have healthy relationships in every area of your life. you got to make sure that you do not fall in love with yourself. In our passage in Luke chapter 15, we find that this somewhat wealthy man had two sons. He had an older son and he had a younger son. The younger son comes to his father and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. Now, this was an inheritance that the younger son was entitled to after his dad passed away. But literally what he was saying to his dad is, I can't wait for you to die. I need everything that I'm entitled to right now. Give it all to me now. And it says that the father obliged that he gave his son actually one third of his entire wealth of all his possessions he gave to that younger son. And I like how the Bible says this. It says, after some time, the younger son decided to leave and to go out on his own. When he asked his dad for his initial wealth or his initial inheritance, he had no intentions of leaving. He was just like, hey, I want all that belongs to me right now. But after some time, he realized, hey, I can't really live up all that I have under my father's watch. I need to go somewhere. My, my wife... Uh, she, 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 she's, she's, she's a blessing, she's gracious, I'm stuttering because I'm figuring out how I'm going to say this without getting in trouble when I go home. But my son Roman came to a point where it was time to get his first haircut. Well, I was like, you know, he, he looks a little unruly, we got to get him a haircut and all this other kind of stuff. And I said, listen, there's two things about my son Roman. The first thing is he is unemployed. And as long as you are unemployed, you cannot afford to go to a barber and get your hair cut. And I'm not paying for you to go get a haircut. The second thing about Roman is he's a blessed young man because he happens to have a father that is an unlicensed barber. So until he is 18 or until he gets his own job, guess who's going to be cutting his hair? We're going to have to worry about no little girls liking him. His hairline going to be so jacked up. He's going to have no problems whatsoever. I said, babe, don't worry about it. I'll cut his hair. And she looked at me the way you're looking at me right now. There's no way. Actually, I took Roman with me to the barber a few weeks ago, not to get his hair cut just because I had him for the day. And my barber looked at him and was like, you cut his hair, didn't you? <laughs> Homie's hairline was like all the way back. <laughs> he won't have girl problems for a long time. But it's hilarious. I cut Roman's hair almost every two weeks. And I think I'm actually doing pretty good. I might post a picture this week. Just look at the boy's shape up. I'm telling you, I'm going to start a kitty, kitty barbershop. I got skills, y'all. But when I tell you, and Roman is his father's son, the first few times, he never cried. He was cool. But now he just sits there and he lets me shape him up. And as soon as I'm done cutting his hair, he runs to his mama and he says, how do I look? How do I, and he, I mean, he just starts like a peacock, just look at me, look at me, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay, can I go to the mirror? Can I go to the mirror? Let me go see in the mirror. And he, he'll hop up on the sink and he'll, listen to me, that boy loves himself. <laughs> There's something about Roman. He's one of those kids that if he's walking by a mirror, he's like, hey, good looking. How's it going? 
I don't know what it is about our sinful nature, but for some reason as humans from young, we get consumed in ourselves. And how do I feel? In what's fair for me? And how do I get out of life what I want for it? Without even realizing it, we are falling in love with ourselves. That's what happened to the younger son. He said, listen, I'm not quite sure if dad's going to look out for me. I'm not quite sure if I'm going to be able to experience all. I feel like I'm missing out on something. Give me everything that I deserve and let me go out and let me live my life. But here's what the Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 25. It says, if you love your life down here on earth, you're going to end up losing it. If you despise your life down here, you will exchange it for eternal glory. In other words, if you are overly consumed with you, you're going to end up losing everything that you value. That's what happened to this younger son. He said, no, 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 no. I need everything that's entitled to me. And within a couple of verses, because he was trying and consumed with himself, he ended up losing the exact same thing that mattered to him. Why, why, do we, why do we get consumed? Why do we get obsessed? with? The, there's two thoughts that come to mind. One of the reasons why we get consumed with ourselves is because it's our overreaction to the pain of life. We go through trials. We go through abuse. We go through tribulations. And, and the enemy has a way of narrating every event in your life. And from young, he begins to whisper, you went through this because no one was looking out for you. You went through this because no one had your back. You went through this because they were worried about themselves. And without even realizing, he begins to write this narrative of if you don't look out for you, nobody else will. You start, I, I, I'm sure like a psychologist or a therapist or whatever it may be can explain the like biological response uh, to, to shopping. But there is something about retail therapy that just brings peace. It brings joy. It brings happiness. And it brings poverty. <laughs> like I didn't know if that's where you go. But let's be real. There's something about a hard week at work, a 12-hour day, or a difficult season, or whatever it may be, and I'm kind of being funny, but if you think about it, oftentimes your lack of financial discipline is usually followed by a painful and a stressful season. And there's something about life just being difficult that we begin to tell ourselves, I deserve this. I've worked for this. I, 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 this is owed to me. Without even realizing it, and I'm not talking about retail therapy because I fully believe in that, so I will never preach against it. However, there's something about going through a difficult season in life or a difficult storm that we begin to become consumed with ourselves. So you know what? I deserve this. I, I need to look out for me. If I don't look out for myself, nobody else well, there's another reason why we're overly in love with ourselves, and I'm just going to say it this way. It's because we're immature. 
if you have children of any age, but especially younger children, it is annoying. I am telling you right now, I have taken more toys in the last four years than Toys R Us has ever made. And it usually goes something like this. If you guys can't share, then I'm going to take it. I got shells of toys that I forgot to give back to them just because they couldn't. Because there's something about a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a 16-year-old that's like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, but it's mine, but it's mine. It's amazing to see Zoe will not be playing with a toy until Roman touches it. And as soon as Roman touches it, it's like, but it's mine. I'm like, but you weren't playing with it. She's like, no, 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 but it's mine. Listen, it's okay when you're four, you're four. It's okay when you're two, you're two. It's not okay when you're 40. Ow! <laughs> on camera, y'all can't get me. It's my paycheck. Oh, oh, Pastor, mind your business. Get out of my house. It's going into my account. Oh, you can't touch it. And it's just straight immaturity to be consumed with self. If we were to watch ourselves, it would be as awkward as watching people be inappropriately affectionate in public. For some of us, that's how affectionate we are with ourselves. Another indication that you've fallen in love with yourself to a level that's dangerous is when you trust every thought that goes through your mind and you trust every decision that you make. The Bible says this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. He said, who can understand it? And by the way, when the Bible asks a question, who can understand it? The answer is nobody but God. It goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Immaturity is trusting every decision that you make. Immaturity is having the mindset that, you know what irritates me? You ever seen those dumb interviews? Hugely, and I don't mean to be shady, but it's my spiritual gift. It's usually a, a, a performer, a politician, somebody with great influence and a great following. And they're usually later on in life, usually there was some major scandal uh, earlier on in their career or, you know, whatever it may be, tax evasion, I don't know. And they're interviewing this person. And they say, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently? And it drives me nuts. When that person responds, I'd do it all the same again because all my mistakes, all my failures made me into the man. You're an idiot. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm not supposed to say that in church. Listen, there's a lot of things I would have done differently because I couldn't have trusted myself. But when we're overly in love with ourselves, we trust uh-oh, our feelings as facts. We trust our own opinion. We trust the way that we see things, not understanding that the Bible says, hey, don't trust yourself so much because your heart has a way of deceiving. Come on now. Somebody say preach for a second. You, you, you remember back that when you bought that brand new car <laughs> and you told yourself you worked hard, you've driven enough broke down cars. 
this, this good decision. You trusted yourself. And then two years later, when you still had 12 more years of payments on that car, <laughs> you were just like, whose idea was this? The Bible says that the heart, it plays tricks on us. That's what happened to that young man. He saw something that he convinced himself that he wanted. And it was probably years, but in our Bible, it's only verses. That just a few verses later, he decided, I don't want that. I've discovered if I'm overly infatuated, if I'm overly in love with myself, it will destroy every other relationship in my life. Like, let's talk for a second. You ever tried receiving love from someone who's in love with themselves? Not love, because love's not a bad word, who's infatuated with themselves. Like, let's not even talk romance or marriage. Let's just talk business. You ever tried to work with a selfish person that all they could think about is how does it affect them? What do they get out of it? What, what, how are they going to be affected? Listen, we're consumed in ourselves you are not going to see one relationship in your life, even your relationship with God, become all that it can be. The second thought is this. Write this down. Write this down. Love yourself uh, just a little bit more. <laughs> Number one thought is this. Hey, don't fall in love with yourself. But the second thought is this. You need to start loving yourself just a little bit more. One of the things I find about us humans is that we are just, we're just extremes. We're either all the way right or all the way left. We're either all the way in love with ourselves or all the way, yeah, I'm not feeling myself. And I have a third kid coming, so pretty soon I'm going to have some new analogies, but I only have two right now, so here goes Zoe. Roman will get his hair cut. He said, Mommy, look at me. Mommy, look at me. And he'll go in the mirror and say, Oh, don't I look good? I walked home and I walked into the house last week, and you, you, could, you could just tell... When mothers and daughters are just having just a little bit of a, you, you, you know, dads, you walked in and you're just like, hmm. Say hi to your wife. Say, hey, babe. She's like, hey. Ooh. Hey, Zoe. Hi, dad. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, man, what's going on? And, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not always a good dad. I'm not always a good husband. It was a long day. And I said, I know something's going on, but it ain't my business. I'm going to go, I don't want no trouble. I'm going to go put my bag down, change my clothes. And after about 15 minutes at home, it was so much tension. Zoe's four. And there was still so much tension in the house. I'm like, I got to say something. I was like, babe, what's going on? She said, ask your daughter. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Zoe was wrong. Tomorrow's picture day at school. Okay, great. We got pictures tomorrow. And I hate my hair. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get in trouble with this, but I'll be right. I said, Zoe, who did your hair? Mommy did. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. I'm not, I may not be alive to preach next week. <laughs> Always just like, I just, I don't like the way that I look. And it's picture day tomorrow. It's amazing how we just find ourselves in extremes. We're either over infatuated with ourselves or 
We have no compassion, no love, no affection, no trust in ourselves at all. Like if you look at the story of what the Bible calls the prodigal son, he starts off in a position where he says, Dad, give me everything that I'm entitled to. I want it all right now because I'm the most important person in the world. And then the Bible says he goes out and he squanders and he wastes everything on riotous living. And I love that phrase. It says, when he came to himself, he literally had a conversation with himself, but his conversation was just as erroneous as the first decision that he made. Here's what his conversation said, sounded like. He said, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I've made too many mistakes. Too many sins, too many setbacks. He said, I'm not worthy to be my father's son. Let me go back, but I'm going to go back as a slave. I'm going to go back as a servant. A servant in my dad's house gets to live a lot better than I'm living right now, so I'm going to go back as a servant. Can I just preach for a second? I wonder how many people have been following God for decades, but you see yourself as a servant and not as a son. Because you're so consumed in the mistakes that you've made. You're so consumed in that divorce that happened 10 years ago or that abortion that took place 18 months ago. or You're so covered in guilt and shame that you're coming to God, but not coming to God as a son or as a child. But if I could just be a sir, oh, what a lonely worm am I. We just see ourselves as less than God's called us to be. And the thought that crossed my mind is, what makes us have this self-loathing response? And it struck me that sometimes when we're mistreated in life, we begin to see ourselves the way that other people have always seen us. So they didn't see us as valuable. They didn't see us as worthy. They didn't see us as worth any effort. He said, well, if they walked out of my life and they mistreated me and they said I wasn't worth it, then I must not be worth it. So I'm going to begin to respond to myself that way. Another reason that we look down on ourselves or don't have any trust or love or compassion for ourselves is because we've allowed guilt and shame that has nothing to do with God to define our identity in the way that we see ourselves. So he said, I've made too many mistakes. Uh, I've had too many setbacks. I've wasted too much opportunities. So I now deserve less than. And here's the thing that we don't realize. Our relationship with ourselves dictates our relationships with everybody else. So because you don't love yourself, you don't trust yourself, and you don't have value for yourself, watch this. You allow other people to treat you the same way you treat you. So we're in relationships where people abuse us, where people manipulate us, where people misuse us. And here's the thought, whether it's somebody you're dating, whether out somebody you're married to, or even friends around you, you know it's not right, but subconsciously you have this thought, I don't deserve any better. This is the best. I've seen people, I'm gonna get in trouble, but I've been in trouble all day. So it's, I've seen people date people that have misused them, abused them, mistreated them, and they will not leave 
just from the mindset of, I can't find anything better. Or I dare say, I don't deserve anything better because of my past, because of my mistakes. The problem is, you're seeing you through your flawed eyes instead of through the eyes of the Father. The Bible says that when that young son came back, before his father, before he could even get to his father, it says that the father took off running towards him. It says he gave this speech, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. And that father didn't even respond. He said, hey, bring me the best robe and bring me my ring and kill the fatting. We're throwing a party because my son was dead and now he's alive. Only if we can see ourselves the way that God sees us. The Bible says this in Psalm 139 verse 14. It says, God, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And watch this, that my soul knows very well. So God, it's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing the works that you've done. But watch this, he didn't say my spirit knows it, not the spiritual side of me, he didn't say my body knows it. He says my mind, my will, and my emotions knows that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When I think about the word fearful, think about the word with, with reverence, intricacy, and detail. Here's the thought that crossed my mind. When, when, when the body breaks down, when, when you're in need of a surgery, sometimes doctors will spend nine plus hours working on your body. Here is why because God made it with such complexity. There was so much intentionality and detail placed into your body that it takes human beings hours and hours and hours to rectify a problem, sometimes days and multiple surgeries because of the level of detail that's placed inside of it. We all have known that, hey, there's only one fingerprint that you have. Every single person has a different fingerprint. If God went through the detail of giving you your own fingerprint, your own eye scan and all that, do you not think that doesn't speak to the value, to the rarity, to the uniqueness of who you are? Here's what I've discovered. Just because other people don't see the value doesn't mean that there's not value there. It simply means that they don't see that value. And here's the problem. We treat other people the way that we treat ourselves. The Bible says this, someone asks God, what's the greatest two commandments? And the first commandment he said is this, love the Lord your God with all your body, with all your mind, with all your soul. And he said the second is like this in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. He said, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is a really good verse if you're one of those people who you love yourself so much. And it's just like, hey, hey, be consumed in your neighbor the same way you're consumed in yourself. But here's the reality. Most of us don't really love ourselves. So, ow! Should, should I get in trouble? Or my, my business? So because we expect perfection from ourselves, we expect perfection from our spouse. 
Because we can't forgive ourselves, it's difficult for us to forgive somebody else. And because we don't show any grace and mercy to ourselves, here's what the Bible says, love your neighbors yourself. Hey, you're going to treat other people the same way you treat yourself. So if you hold yourself to an impossible standard, if you can't forgive yourself even after God has forgiven you, how do you think you're going to treat the people that are closest to you? And here's what's messed up about us Christians. We have the nerve to try to pretend like it's spiritual. Pastor, I don't hate myself. I'm just humble. I'm humble. I'm so humble I can't afford to H. I'm humble. I, you know, I'm going to be about these people that, that, that brag about themselves, always talking about themselves, all looking out. No, 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 no. I just serve. I just serve. I just serve. I just serve. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm just trouble all day long. Men are like this sometimes, but just because I'm on a screen and you can't fight me, I'm going to say what I want to say. Oftentimes, it's women that you serve other people to the level that it's actually abuse to yourself. You have no more energy. You're exhausted. You've ignored your health. But yet, take care of the husband, take care of the kids, take care of the friends, taking care of everybody else. And you just say, you know, I'm just serving, I'm just serving, I'm just serving. Listen, humility is not abusing yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So it's not humble <laughs> to say, no, 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 I'm not that great, I'm this, I'm that, or whatever it may be. Humility is, hey, I'm focused not on my needs and my desires first and all that other good stuff, but I'm not going to take advantage of myself, abuse myself, look down on myself. I am going to make sure that I honor myself so that I can honor other people around me. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 says this, therefore don't cast away your confidence, which has a great reward, for we have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. God says there is a life that is only given to those who live with confidence. Hey, God made me special. God made me fearful and wonderful. God has a unique plan and a purpose and a destiny for my life. And yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, there's sin in my past. But it's not even there anymore because my father sent his son to shed his blood so that every mistake could be erased. And don't love yourself too much, but you do need to love yourself a little bit more. And last thing is this. Don't lose sight of who love is. Don't lose sight of who love is. The title of this message was there's two relationships that you can't afford to get wrong. We've been talking about the relationship that we have with ourselves and you can't get that relationship wrong, but here's the deal. If you get your relationship wrong with your heavenly father, it's only inevitable that you get the relationship wrong with yourself. You see, this whole story about the prodigal son, the younger son, and the older son, the essence of the whole problem was their mistrust for the father. This younger son said, hey, dad, give me all of my inheritance. And here's the only reason why he wanted his whole inheritance, because he thought his father was withholding life from him. He had this mindset that I'm going to be able to experience something away from my father, 
that's a lot better than I can experience with my father. And that has been a lie of the enemy from the beginning of time, that somehow God is keeping you from life. Somehow God is restricting you. Somehow when you live within God's commands and within God's word and and within God's boundaries, that you're going to miss out on what life is really about as supposed to. No, 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 no. It's in the safety of the father that joy and fulfillment and peace and and purpose is experienced. Here's the thing that blows my mind. The older brother had the exact same mindset. He just never ran away. The end of the story, the father comes to the older brother and says, hey, your son, your, your brother, he's alive. Come party with us. And the older son said, no, I'm not partying with him. He wasted all of your wealth. It was hard for the older brother to forgive his brother because he had never forgiven himself. And he said, Dad, I've been in your house this whole time. I've worked for you. I've, I've slaved for you. See him going with the it's not fair, it's not fair story. And he said, you haven't even given me a little lamb, but yet you've killed the fattened calf for my brother. It goes on to say that the father said, don't you see all that I have is yours? There's nothing in this house that you can't have. That older brother was struggling to love his brother, and to see his father is generous because his relationship was jacked up. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's not that God loves, it's that he is love. And God's love has a level of generosity that you couldn't even fathom. There is nothing that you can accomplish or achieve or take hold of outside of the boundaries of God that can compare to what God has in store for you. It says no good thing will he withhold from those who walk within his boundaries. But not only is God's generosity extravagant, His forgiveness is extravagant. Because here goes the younger brother again. First, God, give me every, that father, give me everything that I have because I don't trust you to be generous. Then on his way back, he says, Dad, I'm no longer your son. Make me a servant. Because he didn't understand the mercy and the forgiveness of his father. Until we've received the forgiveness of God, until we've experienced the love of God, we'll never truly be able to forgive or love ourselves. It's like a math equation. If you don't experience God's love, you'll never be able to love yourself. And if you're not able to love yourself, you'll never truly be able to love anybody else. And it's the same thing for forgiveness. And here you are in a dating relationship, maybe in your marriage, maybe at work, and you're just wondering why. Why are all these relationships not working out? It's because for so many of us, we've neglected the two biggest relationships in our life, our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, skip to verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
What Paul was saying is, hey, we need to love other people. We need to be focused on their concerns and their needs. He says, but you will never be able to do that unless you've been made whole in the love of God. Unless you've experienced the affection and the mercy and the grace of God. You want to fix your marriage? You want to be a better parent? You want to have a better relationship with that child? We got to learn how to love ourselves first. We can't do that until we surrender to the love that God has for us. Let's pray. Father God, we're just grateful. God, that even as so many of us at different seasons of our life has been like that prodigal son, or maybe like the older son, maybe not leaving physically, but emotionally thinking that you're taking advantage of us or that you won't forgive us. But God, we are grateful that your love is consistent, that it never fails. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, whether you're in Baltimore or watching online or in Columbia, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this message personal to you. For so many of us, God's saying, yeah, you're just a little too consumed. You you trust yourself just a little too much. For so many of us, God says, man, you're harder on yourself than I am. Show yourself some grace. Show yourself some forgiveness. I want to take a moment and speak to those of you that if you would be honest, you would say, I have an estranged relationship with God, my heavenly father. Maybe you're like that younger son and you've went to experience life outside of the covering and protection and relationship with God. Or maybe you're like that older brother where you're in church every Sunday, but in church with a bitter heart, feeling like life's not fair, that God's abandoned you, God's forgotten about you, God's, God's not blessing you. And it starts with turning our heart back to the Father. You say, Pastor, I know my heart with God's not in the right place, and I want to change that trajectory right now, right where you are, whether you're in Columbia, Baltimore, watching online. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for loving me and for wanting me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Today, I surrender. I give you control of my life. Remove all guilt, all shame. Place your love in my heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you go crazy? Can you celebrate for every single person? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.